right. All right, go ahead and make yourselves comfortable. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Raise your hand if you get tomorrow off. Anyone get tomorrow off on this weekend? Why aren't you at the beach? That's what I want to know. Golly. Or in the mountains. We live in a great place. Um, hey, my name is Luke. I'm the lead teacher here. I haven't met some of you. If you're a guest, welcome to Legacy Church. It's good to have you here. Um, turn in your Bibles, if you brought it or if you use an app. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 12 and or Romans 8, wherever you want. Those will be the main two passages that lift the most weight for us and uh, show us Jesus more clearly as we look at the spiritual gifts. We've been going through the spiritual gifts the last several weeks. Um, and just to let you kind of know where the bus is going, we have this week and we have next week where we examine some of the gifts at a little, with a little bit more intricacy. Um, after that, me and Chris Harris will take you through the book of Jonah, which is a fantastic book to do in the summer. It is not the Jonah that you grew up with in Sunday school. Um, I think some of you are going to learn quite a bit. It's a great, great book for this church and this season for our church, I feel like. And we'll explain that more as the series go on. But it's, Jonah is what it is. It's a short book. So we'll do that, and then we've got another few things that are going to be really fun for you to carry you throughout the summer. Um, but today, we have gifts. And today we're going to talk about the spiritual gift of faith and of miraculous healings. How does that make you feel inside? Miraculous healings. It's kind of a controversial gift, right? A little provocative. Um, probably just as provocative is the gift of tongues and prophecy, and by God's grace, we all survived that a couple weeks ago, right? <laughs> Everyone made it. Um, but this, I think, might even be a little bit more controversial because it's touching us and it's engaging us where we are already very tender and sensitive. Uh, areas where we have some pain, some shame, maybe some fear associated with it all. I know I have to be careful today as I teach this. Um, because I know a lot of you who are here, either you, you either are someone who is sick and have not felt God heal you from something, or you know someone that has been sick for a long time and God has not healed them. We either are someone or we know someone. This is something that is connected to all of us. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't have this gift some of the gifts that we've taught, I've been open and honest with you, and I've said, I, I have this gift or I don't. This is one I'm, I'm afraid I do not have. And whenever I talk about the gift of healing, I, I want you to maybe broaden your scope a little bit. I'm not just talking about the physicality of our bodies. I'm not just talking about STDs and bad knees and migraines and bad backs and cancer and syndromes. I want you to shoot a little wider, right? Our mental instability, our emotional Instability. I'm also talking about depressions and fears and deep, deep, deep anxieties. Talking about some of you who have been abused in the past, verbally, sexually. Some of you have had abortions, stillbirths. Things that have happened to you, whether it is emotional, mental, or physical, to where your body and your soul cry out and you say, God, I need you to heal me. I need you to change this. I need you to fix this. I need you to lift this. I don't have this gift, but I did do something back in my early 20s that looked like something that rhymed with something that could have possibly been something a little bit like this, okay? And I'm not sure what it is. Kevin, is Kevin in here? 
anywhere? Chase, there's a bit of a ring coming out of this. I don't know if anyone else can hear it. No? But dogs are going to come running in here any minute. It's there, I promise. Um, but there, when I was like 21 or 22, I'd only been a Christian for maybe six months. Not very long, but I was working in West Texas as a physical therapy technician. And what that meant is, is I would rush in after the surgeons and after the physical therapists would write out the plan, and I would be the guy that would do massages or ice massage or electrical stimulation or ultrasound was a big deal. I did a lot of ultrasounds. Um, so I spent a lot of time in exam rooms, a lot of time with patients one-on-one. And there was one woman that came in maybe three days out of the week, sometimes every single day for an ultrasound. I don't remember her name, and I don't really remember what was wrong with her. She was in her late 70s or her early 80s, um, and she had this pain with her shoulder that she was in constant, constant pain. Pain when she was asleep, pain when she was awake. And the thing is, is and we can never figure out, is she mute or does she just not like to talk? Because she never once, in the whole time I knew her, say one word. Not one. Not stop. Not yes. Not hurts. Not thanks. And she never smiled. Just this stoic depression that comes along with a constant chronic nagging pain. One day she came in and I was doing her ultrasound and we're in an exam room. The door is closed behind us, but there's a good two dozen people stirring around, working out, getting their treatments right outside the room. I'm a young man. I'm a very young Christian. But I felt, I felt as I was doing this ultrasound that if I, I just had this unshakable assurance that if I just prayed for this woman, that God was going to give her a peace and lift some measure of pain. And I didn't even know what that meant, right? I didn't hear some audible voice tell me that. I just had this swell of, of confidence. So when the treatment was over, I turned off the machine, and I said, look, <laughs> I'm not crazy, all right? But I love Jesus, and I believe in God, and I just feel like if I pray for you, that God told me that he would bring some measure of peace to you right now. I don't even know what that means. I'll be honest with you. But are you okay if we just pray right now? And she nodded her head yes. So I put my hands on her shoulder. And I started to pray for God to bring some peace. Right? Now the lights didn't flicker. And it wasn't all tingly under my hands. Nothing dramatic like that. I just prayed. But a, a tear started to stream. And then the tears turned into whimpering. Which turned into crying which turned into loud crying, which turned into sobbing, which turned into wailing, which turned into just moaning and crying out, right? But it wasn't the kind of crying out and, and uh, crying that, that it came from pain. It was more like a catharsis, like something had been bottled up for a couple decades and was finally letting go. But the whole time I'm thinking a couple things, I'm thinking, A, I'm about to lose my job straight up. There's no way they're not hearing this out there. You know, my last day is today, cleaning out the locker. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking, do I stop? I mean, something good is happening. Something real is occurring right now. I don't know what it is. I don't know if God's healing her or speaking to her or just reminding her that he loves her. I don't know what he's doing, but I didn't stop until my boss kicks in the door, right? Sticks his head in. What is going on? I don't know. You know I'm, I'm praying for her to be healed, right? And so he said, see me in my office. And we talked about it. He loved Jesus. And so we talked about what it meant. 
Luke, are you going to be doing this with every patient? No, probably not, you know. <laughs> but I have to tell you, I had to be honorable to God in that moment. And so that's the closest thing that's ever happened. There you have it. I'm not gifted there. That's the only thing I know. Um, look in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, um, we should have it up on the screen. Uh, and this is the passage we've been using for the last several weeks as, as we've been going through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then if you were to fast forward through that same chapter, he kind of finishes it up with this in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. He's talking to you, Knoxville. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is why, now pause, this is why we spend time doing the spiritual gifts, right? Not, not to be creepy, not to be provocative and pump our attendance or anything goofy like this, but listen, if we're doing life on life together in living rooms and you're not operating in your spiritual gifts, it makes community a little awkward and dorky looking, right? There needs to be something that we are contributing that God has birthed in us to minister to the body for his glory and for the sake of the city. This is why we're doing this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. What I'd like to do is I'd just like to jump straight into the gift of faith if I can because it's so connected to healing. And it's something that's not taught very often and there's a lot of confusion on this. The more I talk to people... Um, if you've been keeping up with us in this teaching on the spiritual gifts, if you, as you've been watching, you're probably seeing a trend come out. And the trend is this, that God actually calls us to walk in, exercise the role of things that we're not necessarily gifted in, like evangelism. There is a gift of evangelism, and there are people that are good at it. But aren't we all called to evangelize? Contribution, encouragement, leadership, serving helps, exhorting. These are all things that we are all called to do, but there are some who are very gifted for it. Faith is going to be a little bit like this, not totally, and I'll explain, but it is a little bit like this because we all have the capacity for faith in some dimension. Uh, Saving faith is a certain kind of faith. This is conversion faith. This is the faith where you trust that God's remedy is true for you, Remember, the, uh, to, to get under the skin of what faith is, faith is basically the place where your soul cries out its own inadequacy, where you die to your own self-sufficiency and your soul says, Lord, I can't do this. And if you don't do this, it does not get done. That is the place of faith. Lord, I can't produce this. I can't feel this. I can't say this. I can't think this unless you do it through me. And this is what happens in saving faith. Lord, I can't produce new life 
And unless you do it, it doesn't get done. I can't beat these old devils, these demons. I can't just wrap up on these addictions. I can't do this unless you do it. This is the faith you see in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace through faith that you become saved, right? We all know this passage. And this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one can boast. So now here we see that the salvation that is a gift to you has saving faith working through it. But then you also have sustaining faith. Sustaining faith is faith that as a Christian you wrestle with every day. This is what fluctuates from day to day and from person to person, right? Where we believe God's promises are true for today, for us, for this situation. That is sustaining faith. This is also the kind of faith that as you guys do life together on mission to the city, it's easy to see when it's dwindling in those around you. You'll start hearing statements come out of their mouth like, I don't know if this marriage will ever make it. I don't know if God even cares about this. I don't know if I'll ever come out of this addiction. You start hearing things that contrast with promises that God has given us in Scripture, and that is your cue, friend, Christian, to step in and nurture and administrate kindness and encouragement to that person to cultivate sustaining faith. Now, this gift we're talking about today is a little different. The gift of faith is a little different than saving faith, And it's different than sustaining faith. D.A. Carson, I think, has probably the easiest, most simple uh, definition of it. It's half a sentence. It's not going to be on the screen. But he says, The gift of faith enables a believer to trust God to bring about certain things for which he or she cannot claim some divine promise recorded in Scripture. You see, there are divine promises in Scripture that we can all claim. You don't need a gift of faith. You just need to be obedient in faith, right? But then there are some things that are outside of Scripture that some people have this assurance of, kind of like what I had inside of that little exam room. That's a different thing. That's something different. Like I described earlier, it's this upsurge. Upsurge is this unshakable, unshatterable confidence that comes that you just know that if you pray, that if you do something, that God is about to do something very very cool. Some sign, some wonder that blesses people, that reflects his glory, that ministers. This is what faith is. When we read in Matthew 11, something Jesus says, and I'm not saying that this is only for the gift of faith. Most scholars and theologians attach this to a gift of faith, though, most likely. In verse 23 of chapter 11, Mark says, or Jesus says in Mark, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This is why some of you have struggled with this passage growing up as a Christian. Can you see where a measurable gift of faith coming to us is somewhat described right here. Now this person, and I've tried to do this with all the spiritual gifts, describe what this person looks like. Because it might be you. Some of you, in fact, I know some of you have this gift because I know you intimately. But this is you if you are annoyingly optimistic. Annoyingly optimistic, right? I'm a little bit more of a glass-is-half-empty guy. I call myself a realist. That's what all pessimists call themselves as realists, right? And that's what I find myself to be. (laughs) And sometimes, isn't it true that the glass is not half empty? Sometimes it's just wet on the bottom of the cup, or there's a stain from what had been water at some time in the distant past, and now it's just crust, right? 
But that's not what the person with the gift of faith sees. No, that's electrifying opportunity of what God is about to do. He's about to swoop in and blow it up and amaze everybody. Don't you see the beauty of this whole thing? No, I see a glass that is half full or not full. This person is annoyingly optimistic. This person is always quick in the middle of little war zones with blood and bullets and mortars and shock and people with their head down covering up and just waiting for it all to end. Those moments of life, these people are able to see the ribbon of God's blessing right in the middle of it, right? This is the person, here you are on the side of the interstate looking at your new car on its side, on the side in the ditch, right? Tires blown out. There's the dust of airbags being deployed, settling as there's tempered glass and coolant all over the road. You know that feeling you get in your gut as you're looking at it and you're thinking to yourself, this just happened, man. That was my car. The person who has the gift of faith rolls into that and says, I know, this is horrible, but hey, look on the bright side, right? Bright side. Look on the bright side. We did get to minister and tell the gospel to the tow truck driver and meet his wife, and had this not happened, we wouldn't have got to do that. So there you go. You lost a car. We gained a soul. You know what I'm saying? Right? <laughs> Annoyingly optimistic. This is also the person that whenever they find themselves in the, in the company of Eeyores, and I am an Eeyore, self-avowed Eeyore, Right? That they feel this, this surge to embolden themselves and encourage everybody and kind of stir up everybody a little bit. Well, I guess this isn't going to work. Like always, I guess we'll just shut it all down and quit. person with faith says, are you kidding me? This is when it's getting good. This is the best part. In fact, this is the best I've ever seen. That's what that per- In fact, that person is also really good at recounting past things that God has done accurately that pertain to the current situation. Don't you remember six months ago when God did this and blew all our minds? Don't you remember 13 years ago when God spoke this to us and it changed everything? It's just like this. My wife has this gift. My wife, it's a primary gift for Paula to have this big gift of faith. And to me... It's annoyingly optimistic. Listen, and whenever she says something, half of me, 50% of me, I hate it. I hate, but let me be honest with you. I hate it because it convicts me. Because I'm a dude and I wanted to get there first. I didn't want her to be able to lead me to faith, to lead me to God's promise, to lead me to being joyful about the gospel and the call thereof. I wanted to get there by myself. I should have been the one to lead her, right? It's this man thing. But when I get over myself, I feel comforted and led. She's being good community to me, right? This just happened the other day. Something popped up on our radar that, in my opinion, was wrecking our summer, in my opinion. Very big inconvenience. And I remember thinking, are you kidding? This is happening. This ruins everything. You know what she says? I'm glad. I'm glad this happened. Because if this thing didn't happen, then we wouldn't get to see something cool that God was about to do. But now we get to watch God do something really cool. I just turn around and go back in the office. I don't want to hear it at that time, right? (laughs) These people make great evangelists. These people make fantastic church planners. They make good counselors, too, and I'm going to explain that a little bit later. Right? Now, what's important to teach here, where does this person get the faith? Where does a faith like that come from? The same place saving faith and sustaining faith come from. From the right hand of God, it is a gift. You see, we don't self-generate this. We don't 
We don't contribute in a way that we are the power plant behind faith. It doesn't work like that. Any more than someone who's prophetically gifted self-generates their own prophecy. Or someone who has dreams self-generates and manufactures their own dreams. It doesn't quite work like this. This is a gift given from God so that we can look like Jesus, minister like Jesus, point to Jesus, and enjoy Jesus. It's a beautiful gift. But the power plant behind faith is not your own spiritual energies. The power plant behind faith is the one in whom your faith is anchored. The power plant and the power behind your faith is God in whom you have faith, the object of your faith. That's where it comes from. It's a gift. It's a gift. Now, I had to teach that a little bit because faith is inextricably hooked to and linked to healings and miracles. Now, a person can have the gift of faith and not have a gift of miracles and a gift of healing, but it's very rare to find a situation where a gift of healing is exercised and faith was not there somewhere, somehow right? If you look in the New Testament, which is where we see a lot of healings, in fact, most of the, and this is the reason I'm not teaching miracles today, because the lion's share of the miracles in the New Testament were healings, or someone being raised from the dead, which is an ultimate healing, if you think about it, right? So I'm going to focus on those because of the overlap. But if you look in the New Testament and you see a lot of these healings, someone's got some faith. There is this unshakable confidence that comes up that God is about to do something radically cool, radically benevolent and kind and graceful. Sometimes that faith belongs to the person who is about to be healed. I'm thinking of the the woman with the bleeding problem, blind Bartimaeus, the ten lepers, where one of them came back to thank Jesus. In those cases, in some way, shape, or form, Jesus said, depart for your faith has healed you. But sometimes doesn't it belong to the people around the person who is sick. That faith belongs to the ones who are surrounding the company of the sick person. I'm thinking of the centurion that rides upon Jesus. Can you help me? There's someone very important to me who is sick. You just say the word and I know it will come to pass. Jesus is freaking out. He's like, are you kidding me? Look at this. This is faith, guys, right? What about the guy who was lowered down, the paralytic, by his four friends? I mean, that's faith, isn't it? They're crawling up on somebody else's house to rip ceiling tiles off To pull him down, they're cutting in line, by the way. Get that when you read that. They're cutting in line. You know there was a line. They're all pressing in, and they're like, (laughs) no one thought of the ceiling yet. We We call that. So they get up on the ceiling, and they're ripping all shingles off of someone else's house, making a big skylight, lowering him down, and Jesus sees the faith of who? The faith is there. Now, before I jump into teaching the gift of healings or how... 1 Corinthians actually says it is the gifts, it's plural. And that's because if you look at the um, understructure of the word, if you look at the original wording and the original language, it's all plural. None of it is singular. That's very, very important for us. Because what we're used to when we think of the gift of healing, we're used to what we see on TV, right? Mr. Automatic up on stage in whatever city, whatever tour date that might be, and he's going to heal anything that comes up on stage. It doesn't even matter what it is, right? And it always works, and it never fails for that guy, right? That's what we think. So, what, you got a a gimpy leg? Well, boom, now you're healed. Congratulations. Can't make kids? Boom, you're healed. You have cataracts? Give me something harder. Boom, and he heals everything. That is not what this is pointing to. That's not what this is nuancing. It has in mind, behind the language, different gifts of healing, 
What that means is that some people have more of a heart, empathy, compassion, drive, and success with certain kinds of sicknesses. For some of you, it might be mental. You might have this deep compassion and desire and upsurge of faith to pray for people who are sick mentally, who have some sort of an instability, a crack somewhere. Sometimes it's emotional, right? I knew a guy once. He's a very famous man. I won't say his name, but he was a professor of mine in seminary, and he, he prayed for people's backs. He just had a thing for backs. If you've got a bad back, I'll pray for it. Not headaches, not cancer, tumors. It was backs. I thought, how random is that? But if I had a bad back, I know where I'm going. You know what I'm saying? And there was a long list of people who said, my back hurt like crazy in and out of chiropractors my whole life, a big shelf of medications I'm on. That guy prayed for me, and I was healed. Different kinds of healings. And for me to do, and what I've been trying to do with these spiritual gifts is take you back to the Garden of Eden, because that's where you start to see a little bit of the design of why we even have some of these spiritual gifts, right? Um, Like, well, you have Adam and Eve. And they failed. And underneath their failure came the cracking of God's cosmos and creation. Your sicknesses, your illnesses, your death is fallout from the fall. Okay? Let me explain this. In Romans 5, this is how Paul talks about it. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So catch this. I mean, zoom out and look at the the narrative of the Bible here. Before Adam and Eve failed to trust God, they were going to live forever. Think about that. They were going to live forever. They were straight up eating their meals from the tree of life. But then they failed. They failed to trust God. They sinned. They became rebels in that moment. And when they did that, with that sin, in rushed like a flood Death, decay, disease, death, not just for mankind, but for the entire creation. The entire creation. That's what we have. But but before then, there was no death. And if there was no death, that means that there was no decay. That means they didn't have any bad breath. Their hips didn't pop in and out of place, right? They didn't have contact lenses. They didn't have foot fungus of any kind, no headaches. Sin had absolutely no effect on human physicality until the fall. And then it did. And then at that point, our bodies would start to become unstitched at the seams. And we'd become splotchy. And we'd start to sag. It's glorious, isn't it? Aging. That's all fallout from the sin. Look at Romans 8. Because what happened is this. Jesus came to defeat sin and sickness and death. He came to do that. He came to the cross, tackled it for us, and at that point he beats sin. But when he walks gladly away from an empty grave, he beats death. He shows it for all creation to see. He beats death. And at that time, sickness and death are defeated. But here goes the question. I know you're asking it. I ask it. Well, Luke, then which is it? Is sickness and death beaten or is it beating me? Yes, both. Look at Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." Now, scholars and theologians, they come up with a cute way of describing this paradox I'm talking about, and that's to describe the kingdom of something that has already come but not yet here. That the kingdom of God is an already not yet reality. Some of you, you already understand that as, as I say it out loud. The kingdom of God has already come in power. It has already exploded upon mankind. That's why Jesus said all the time, the kingdom of God is at hand. And once he was up on the cross... Right? So he comes, God comes to mankind through a virgin, lives perfectly among us, eats with us, parties with us, loves us, but does not sin like us. Right? And then he gets hauled up on a cross according to God's plan, receives a wrath aimed at us, but he, t- he gladly takes because it swaps and makes a substitution for us and him where we get to enjoy a family we had no business being grafted into. Right? We had no business being there. We get to sit at a table, friends. We, we don't have a right to sit at, except for Christ. Except for Christ. So, whenever this happens, the kingdom has already come. But the kingdom is not totally finished. It's not consummated or finished or polished off or finalized, right? This is why you, friend, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, death will never hurt you. Death has no sting, the Bible says, right? But here's the news for you. You're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. You have a perishable tent on that you're walking around. Our bodies are fraught with damage. We're going to die, but you're not really going to die. This is why sickness has been destroyed on the cross and out of an empty grave, but the residue of Adam's fall sticks to you, right? That's the not yet aspect of it. That's the not yet aspect of the kingdom, But as Paul says later on, and it's not going to be on the screen, he says, but even though I am becoming unstitched, even though I am falling apart, and even though I do have cracks in my part of creation, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day by day. That's the already part of the kingdom. Inwardly, it's growing and swelling. He's looking more like Jesus. He's smelling more and more like the kingdom, even though outwardly is looking more and more like Adam's fall. Right? It's the already not yet. So what does all this have to do with gifts of healing? What does this have to do with anything? Because whenever you see a miraculous healing, it should point you to the not yet part of the kingdom. It should point you, it should aim your gaze to our valiant king who came to reverse the curse upon creation. That's what it should show you. Yes, it's good that the person was healed. Yes, they get to walk again. Yes, they're not going to die from cancer. That's radically cool. Yes, all the doctors saw it and they can't explain it. Yes, it gets put up on stage and everyone rejoices. That is all cool. But friends, listen, it points to Jesus Christ. It points to the fact that he is the one that defeated sin. He is the one that defeated kidney cancer. He's the one that defeated all kinds of STDs. He's the one that defeated addiction. He's the one that defeated depression and anxiety. He's the one that defeated your bad back. He's the one that defeated stillbirths and fertile inactivity. He is the one that defeated all of that. That's what it points to. It's a beautiful thing. 
It should point to Jesus. But listen, as I'm going through this material and as I'm looking at our church and I look at Knoxville as a whole, one of the bigger points I think it should show us that I think is more important for us and our people today is it also shows us the heart of God. When you see a miraculous healing, some of you have never seen one, and man, by God's grace, you get to. I love it. I've seen a few. I've seen quite a few, and I'd love to see a lot more. And it's a blast. But it should show you the heart of God. It should show you God's compassion for his very own creation, buckling under the weight of its own destruction. It should show you that. This is what Sam Storm says when it comes to this. He says, every time Jesus healed, we catch a glimpse into his heart. Healing is a window into the soul of our Savior. It reveals the depth of his care and compassion for his people. This all seems real cool. I love it. Sign me up. Why do we struggle with it so much? Why is this such an an uncomfortable gift for us? Right? Because make no mistake, I know that I know. If I were to grab a handful of you and take you into a room right after the service and say, hey, we're going to pray for so-and-so over here. They just got diagnosed with a nasty tumor, and they're not expected to live past another four or five months. So we are going to pray with expectancy that God heals them. I think all of you would go, good, let's do it. Let's rock this thing. I'm excited. I want to see this happen. I hope it happens. I'd love to see something like this happen. I've got no problem believing that God could do this. But I also know you have no expectancy, a lot of you, that whatever will happen. Or that God even wants to do something like that. I think this is where a lot of people go wrong with the gift of healing. I don't think people think that God can't do it. I just think a lot of people think that God won't do it. Maybe because he doesn't want to. Right? And I think there's some reasons we do this. I think the couple big obvious ones are abuse. We see it abused, and typically we shy away from things that we see abuse in. That's understandable, right? And back in my hyper, hyper, hyper charismatic days as a really young Christian, right, I remember running with this guy, and he fashioned himself a little bit of a person that had the gifts of healing, and he saw a guy that had a, a back problem. Back walked into the room, but it was one of these back problems, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need help getting it out of the car. I mean, no way he was faking a healing. This wasn't going to happen for him. It was like this. <laughs> and my friend says, hey, we're going to pray for your, God to heal your back, and everything's going to be fine. He goes, great. So he put his hands on his back, and he started to pray, and it was a powerful prayer, man. I was ready. I mean, I didn't even shut my eyes. It's one of those prayers you keep your eyes open for, you know. I was about to see him do some burpees or jumping jacks or something. So I'm watching, and whenever he's done, hysterical, he had his hands on his back, and he goes, now let me ask you a question. Did you feel any tingling or heat in your back? And the guy goes, no, just a lot of pain. Okay, all right. Let me ask you another question. Do you feel any better at all? Like, can you touch your toes? Can you try to touch your toes? And he went, oh, no, that's about it. I can't even touch my knee. No, this is it for me. All right. Let me ask you another question. Hands on his back. Do you feel any worse? (laughs) And the guy goes, no, I don't feel any worse. He goes, healed. This guy's healed. But the Lord showed me that it's going to take a week or so for it to happen. He needs to repent of some sin. And at the time, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, a week. I can't wait to ask that guy, you know, in a week. But it's a little bit of a cop-out. There's nothing wrong with failing. In fact, you could have the gift of healings and pray for someone and it not work. Nothing is perfect. Someone who has the gift of preaching hits foul balls every time, you know, or often, right? Or teaching. We don't do a great job as teachers all the time. There's failure in all of the gifts. I was abusive a little bit. And sometimes... 
we're hesitant and we're uncomfortable with this gift because we feel like odds are it will not work and we don't like the way it makes us feel. Awkward and abandoned. Some of you have six spouses or kids or parents or loved ones and you have prayed 438 times for that person to be healed. Isn't 439 just a little tougher? I mean, at what point do you just say, God, God's just not going to do this? Where does that land for you? Do you feel it getting more awkward? I mean, I know how it is. There are days where you have a lot of encouragement. You're like, this is it. This is the prayer. I feel it. I feel a lot of faith. You just came out of a real good devotional time. You know. You know that you know that he or she is getting healed. And you pray, and then nothing happens. How does that make you feel? Makes us feel uncomfortable sometimes. Makes us feel a little bit hesitant and a little bit skeptical if we see other people praying for our spouse or kids or parents or whatever. Knowing that we've been praying so often. That's not going to work. I've been praying for years. You think you can come along and pray and see that happen? And a bitterness starts to rise up. So that makes us uncomfortable. But I, I still think the key reason is that we, are, we feel presumptuous to assume that God even wants to heal. That He even wants to. We're not sure that it's even His will and we don't even know what that means. Is this even God's desire? Is this his architecture or his plan for this person? And so we end up taking the posture that to not be healed is the norm. Hear me now. And to be healed is the exception to the rule. But odds are we go into it knowing God probably won't do it. On paper we say that God could and, sh- and, and might at any time. But in reality we're not really living that out, right? Not outwardly. We're not saying it. Our, our hesitations and our doubts, but we're feeling it. We're feeling it. This gift can be, or healing in general, can be reduced to something God could do, but most likely won't. And that's the way it's treated in the church today. I'm assuming that most, if not all of you, think that God can heal. But I think we're legion when it comes to those who wonder if he even wants to. Here is the truth for you, though. And hear me clearly, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything, every atomic structure. He knows how many times your heart will beat. He knows the volume of the oxygen you've pulled in your lungs from minute one to minute last. He knows everything. He has complete control. He's not just omnipotent, but he has complete control. That's how big he is. He's not just sovereign. He's big and sovereign. He can control anything. He can stop any sickness he chooses. He can stop all sicknesses, but he doesn't. He allows some of them to pierce you and me. How do you feel about that? How does that resonate with you? It's tough on me when I think about it. But here's also the truth, and this is the truth you must keep in mind. He hates sickness and death more than you do. He hates sickness and death. In fact, no one hates sickness, disease, cancer, and death more than God. Not even you. Not even your own sickness. God hates your sickness and cancer and syndromes and dysfunctions and secret little things that are happening in your mind that are scaring you to where you don't even want to tell anyone else. He hates that in you more than you hate that in you. That should show you the kindness of his heart. He's not just big and sovereign. He's good. 
How do you know he's good? Because he sent his deepest treasure to conquer that thing that's been conquering you. To reverse a plague that has affected you. And you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. The thing is, mankind deserves sickness and death. That's justice for us, friends. We deserve it. Right? It's kindness to us to have healing. That compassion points to his goodness and his character as God. Here's another truth for you. Sickness does not glorify God. It does not. Sickness doesn't glorify God. How we act in the midst of sickness can reflect God's glory, though. It can. Matt Chandler, who's the president of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, which we are a part of, um, he, not, and not too long ago, had a brain tumor that just about snuffed him right out of life. And right when he was really close to death, he spoke to a lot of pastors, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, how I handle this right now is the strongest, most clear gospel I could ever preach. Coming from a man who's preached the gospel for two decades very well. He says, this is it. This is the moment. Paul agrees with him. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. This is a common passage most of you know about and have read. And Paul says, a thorn was given me in the flesh. What is this? We don't know. We don't know what it was. But it was bad. It was an affliction. It was damage to him. He begged God to take it away. Listen, when my kids ask me something three times, I say, stop begging. Why are you begging? Or I give it to them because they're begging. Paul does it three times, and we never call it begging. I don't know why. He's begging for God to take this thorn away. What does he say? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and he had an answer, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, that thorn did not glorify God. But Paul's opportunity in worship with that thorn did preach the gospel. His grace is sufficient, it says. In my weakness, he is strong, it says. Think about this now. Paul is praying for people to be healed. Look it up in Acts. The whole island of Malta was healed. He's praying for people to be healed while his thorn is pressing deeper in his own flesh. (laughs) That's a whole different preach right there. It's a beautiful moment. So we see the same thing echoed with Paul. I think our discomfort with healing in general and very possibly the gifts of healing is we just don't think God is that big and sovereign to have any control. We have this image of God like he's trying to keep up with sickness, like he's slapping band-aids on things out of breath, just, just frustrated by how quick the devil is, and he just can't keep up with the devil, like he's intimidated or insecure about the situation. So he's not big. And then we have this view that he's just not kind because it happened to someone that we loved or it's happening to us right but this is the gospel he is big the gospel shows the size and the sovereignty of god he vacated a tomb never been done before I mean, people have been raised from the dead but they were just going to die again people were reanimated we'll just say it that way not really raised from the dead as much as reanimated but they would just go right back to the the grave. Jesus is the first to break the shackles of death. God is big. 
That's the gospel. The gospel is also, he is kind because he did it for you. You're not entitled to that, and we're getting what we don't deserve. It is, listen, again, some of you might disagree with me here. That's, that's fine. It's justice that we have sickness and death in mankind. That is justice. And when God comes in with grace for us, it doesn't cancel out justice. We have this weird view of the cross where grace cancels justice. Well, it was justice, but then God came with his grace and washed it all away. No, Jesus took that justice on himself so that grace could be offered us. Justice was executed, just not on you, Christian, right? That's what we have to understand in this. So what do we do? i got to finish this down. What do we do with all of this, this, this teaching? We pray for sick people. We pray all the time. Pray with fervor. Pray with expectancy. Well, when do you stop, Luke? When they're healed or when they die or when God tells you to stop. Those are it. Pray until they're dead. Pray until God tells you to quit. Pray until they're healed. There's no, just keep praying. But I've prayed 400 times. We're just getting started. Keep praying. Keep praying. Pray often. Pray for everything. Pray for the surgeon's hands. I know that's a familiar one, right? We pray for the doctor's hands, Lord. Pray for that. Pray for the medication to work. Pray for anything you want. But pray above all things that God has seen as big and God has seen as kind, even if the person dies, even if the person never gets well. Pray that God's fame is manifest. He is seen for who he is because that joy exceeds the joy of being healed. Right? That's what we pray for. What else do we do? What else do we do? We ask for the, the, the gift of faith to come upon us and those around us that miracles of healing would happen in our midst. Pray for that. Pray for that. That's a lot of fun to pray for. Some of us have this gift, by the way. Some of us have this gift, and it's important. And you know it because you're not just working up the faith. It just kind of ambushes you. This is, like I said, this confidence swells. You don't know where it came from. You didn't produce it. That's why. It was a gift. It was given to you. That's why it seems surprising that you would even believe for something like that. That's the gift of faith. Right? Listen, this might be you, and you might have this gift. If you find yourself with a deep compassion and empathy for sick people, so things like hospitals and patients, they don't really freak you out very much. Right? Like I said, I don't have this gift that I know of. So when I go into a hospital room, I'm pumping on that hand gel thing a lot. You know what I'm saying? It gets dry, I hit it again. And I'm like, you know, 15-foot rule from the sick person. But if you have that gift, you're all cuddled up with them and petting their head and breathing their air and stuff. It just doesn't intimidate you. You don't feel odd and awkward in that situation. might be you. This might be you if you have a compassion or an empathy of some kind for those with emotional instabilities. You just find yourself gravitating towards that and a faith to always encourage them that things could be better and you're always wanting to pray for them as you see them struggle with that emotional thing. Something was done to them. Something that really scarred them and you're you're giving them visions of a better day and something comes up and you just feel this compassion to pray. It might be you, right? It might be you. This could also be you if you have seen people healed because of your prayer. You've prayed for them, and then you just hear through the grapevine, they were healed, right? Might, might be you. This is what Sam Storms goes on to say, very helpful. He says, this is more than just believing that God is able to heal. It's more than that. This appears to be the faith that in this case, he's not only willing to heal, but he's willing to heal right now. Some of you have that. Some of you have that. 
Again, this isn't a perfect gift. Paul healed a lot of people through his prayer, or God did through Paul with the spiritual gift of healing. But isn't it unique? Because he couldn't heal himself. Right? Nor Timothy, who he tells to drink a little wine to fix his stomach problem, right? Kill off whatever bacteria there was in there. I mean, he was a spiritual son, and he couldn't heal him. Or Epaphroditus, who was wasting away on a cot while Paul was hosting him. There's a lot of people he couldn't. It is not a perfect gift. We don't understand why God does it in some cases and not in others. We will someday. We will someday. Listen, if this is you, we could really use your help. The city could use your help. But we could use your help as counselors. We could use your help as we work and minister to the sick. Part of the calling of a pastor and an elder is to be in hospital rooms, to be working with those who are sick and afflicted, but it is not just for pastors and elders. And I've known some people. I've got a friend in Texas who is in the hospital all the time. All the time. He gets a badge, his own parking spot, not because he applied for it. It's because they just got used to seeing him all the time. Right? We could really use your help. We can also use your help with redemption groups, which is something we do as a church. Some of you know about that. Some of you have been through it or helped with it. Redemption groups run alongside of our community groups. And these um, are people that have struggles that might be a little too weighty for your, just your average community group. A heavy addiction, a strong, strong affliction. We need more manpower there. We definitely need more people gifted to work in those situations. It might be you might be a place for you to give. I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand with me, and the team's going to come out. But as we finish this, I do feel like I need to say this. There, listen, there will be a day when death is dead. There will be a day when the very last funeral is death's. Let me think about this. At our wedding feast, where we're with Jesus, eating and partying and singing and worshiping and enjoying community with no sin involved, When that happens, there will be a casket at the wedding feast and it will belong to death who will no longer touch us, no longer frighten us, no longer intimidate us. All sickness will be gone. That's coming. That's coming. You know, as we do the the communion during the worship, which I know Chris spoke about, but as we have worship here, we have the elements back there. And what's What's fun about that is it does memorialize what Christ has done on the cross through a broken body and a spilt blood, but it also points to a future banquet where we will eat again with Jesus. And at that banquet, friends, there will be no sickness. We won't have any hearing problems. Nothing will influence understanding each other. We won't have any envy or jealousy or heartache or sadness or depression. It will all be gone. Everything that is sad will be made untrue in that moment. That's also what we're celebrating with the elements. Listen, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read this to you. I was in a hospital room with a woman who had a 50-50 chance of dying the very next morning in a surgery. I had one shot to read a scripture to her. This is what I read to her in Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. That's coming, friends. And when we see healings, it just points to that. It's just a taste. Just a taste. Listen, some of you are afflicted here today. And if you are, um, we'll have David back here. David, is Amy here with you? Okay. 
We'll have Dave and Rebecca. Could you go back there with Dave? And then I'll be back here with my wife. Paul, there with me? I just asked you a question. You have to say yes in front of everybody. Um, we'll go back there in that corner. And listen, if you have a, a sickness and you need someone to pray with you, and I don't care how long you've had it, 